Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. This is John Clark from Private Practice Workshop, helping you build a better business without all the overwhelm. And uh, today I'm really excited to introduce my guest. It's Craig Dacey. He's a, a profit coach who helps business owners take the stress out of their money. His coaching program is based on the super simple, easy to follow money management system called Profit First. His mission is to help business owners find clarity in their money, increase profit, pay themselves more, and love their business again. And pretty much sign me up after reading that. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm sold. Uh, good, good, <laughs> Craig, done, done deal. <laughs> thank you for doing this. And also <clears throat> behind the scenes, you know, we had a guest who had to drop out last minute, so you jumped in, and I I so appreciate that because you basically saved the day today. So you're already uh, winning in my book. Uh, <laughs> Great. I'm, I'm super glad to be here. I appreciate you guys reaching out. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, let's just jump right into things, but maybe you can expand a little bit more on kind of, you know, who you are, how you got here and the kind of work you do with small business owners. And then we're going to get into the main topic, which is um, uh, how to help therapists pay themselves more, how and why we should be paying ourselves more, perhaps paying ourselves first, a la profit first, and um, and then we'll kind of expand from there. If you're here live, please ask your questions in the comments uh, for Craig uh, or for me, and we'll kind of answer them uh, organically as we go. But yeah, Craig, fill us in a little bit more on kind of who you are and how you got here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I'm a teacher at heart. So, you know, when I was growing up, I thought I was always going to be a teacher and I spent uh, about a decade in in the elementary school classroom as a fourth grade teacher. Um, and just one day I realized I lost really the passion for it. I loved my students. I loved a lot of what I was doing, but I was dreading Monday, counting down days till Friday, till the next holiday, till summer, um, counting my life away basically. And I knew something had to change. Uh, I love money. I love most importantly, the relationship with money and the barriers we find ourselves in when it comes to it. And so I kicked off my business first, helping people with personal finances. As I was coaching people one-on-one, -on -one, helping them pay off debt and get on a budget and get organized, I started meeting business owners. I also had to learn how to manage business myself because I did not want to go back to elementary school teaching. And so I just started falling in love with the business side. And I met business owners whose personal finances and business finances were so entwined and you're struggling personally because of the business or the business is struggling mm. because of your personal finances. And in order to fix one, we have to fix the other. And uh, these dream businesses were becoming these anchors, these jobs, And I didn't want that for people and I didn't want it for myself. And so that's, what's led me here. And now I guide people one-on-one -on -one in groups through content, different ways of just helping them get over this barrier, helping them treat their money anchoring, leveraging their behaviors, and mm. just taking a lot of the overwhelm and the complexities out of it and making it as simple as possible. Channeling my inner fourth grade teacher, making it simple money management is, is key and being profitable. So cool. Yeah. And I, I can also tell, you know, you've really gotten clear on kind of um, your own story with this and why this matters to you. Um, the, the part about approaching it like a teacher, I think, really stands out to me. Um, I'm also, I've said on the show before, I'm a, I'm, I'm a fan of uh, Dave Ramsey's work and mm -hmm. of that model. I don't know if you had, you know, implemented any of that with, you mentioned helping people get out of debt and then just yes. have simple systems for monitoring their own personal cash flow. But I think his baby steps, but also, um, you know, the first time I worked with a financial advisor, it was through his directory and mm -hmm. they you know, say someone that has the heart of a teacher. And that really matters to me because I think there's a lot of therapists, <clears throat> for instance, that hire someone to help with the money of their business. And they don't necessarily know what they're hiring for. Um, and 
not everyone has that heart of a teacher. So like, why do you think that's important, especially when it comes to money and and what you do? I think it's being able to explain things in a way that doesn't go over people's heads. Um, Speaking to business, I mean, when you get into accounting and bookkeeping, there's so many industry specific terms that goes over my head half the time because I'm going, I don't, I don't understand what you're trying to say. Can you put this in layman's terms in a way that I can understand? Um, people are nice and they'll tune you out if, you, if you're not explaining it and guiding them through that process. Um, I think it empowers people when you can show them what to do and give them the ability to take this idea and feel like, get over that idea that I'm bad with money, which I think a lot of us carry on on our shoulders uh, when you can show them that it's not as hard as it, it feels and it doesn't, it's not so black and white all the time. Um, I think that's key. Just mm-hmm. being able to, to walk with somebody, guide them there, um, help them find that light bulb moment, find that aha. Do, do you have thoughts about why so many of us have that narrative or that belief of like, I'm bad with money the same way some people say um, I'm bad at math. Therefore mm-hmm. I'm just not going to look at it, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I, I think there's money. Money is just numbers on a spreadsheet, but it's incredibly, incredibly emotional. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. we could, uh, you, you would know way better than I do, but just how we're raised and how we're grown up, um, how money is talked about in our home, how it's viewed. Um, so many things can come across that way. But at the end of the day too, just when we make a money mistake, when we um, don't work enough or work too much or fill in the blank there, the numbers on the spreadsheet very much are what they are, but they reflect our home, our lives, our priorities, our goals, our families, just everything. And mm. whenever it's not going the way we want, um, we carry a lot of that burden ourselves, I think. There, there's also a lot of it wrapped up in our our perceived value, our, our feelings of personal worth and value. You know, I was mm-hmm. talking to a, a member of our mastermind this morning and she said, you know, guys, I feel like I've done all the right things. I'm, you know, working with my accountant closely. I'm doing profit first and uh, I'm charging more, but I'm constantly afraid of um, judgment about that. I'm constantly uh, just on edge about how much I'm charging, even though I've had my (laughs) profit first professional say, this is, you know, what you need to be charging in order to hit your goals, in order to be profitable or to, you know, uh, feed your family and, and whatever it is. And, um, you know, there's sometimes we wish away that discomfort, but part of that is how do I stand beside my fee when there's so much wrapped in into it, right? Or wrapped up in it. And also um, societally, like it, it, in a bigger perspective, there's a, an undervaluing of mental health largely. There's a stigmatization yes. around mental health that is changing and probably being accelerated and it's changing because of the world, the pandemic, everything we've kind of been through. But um, um, it, it's, it is emotional. And when a therapist is saying 45 minutes of my time is worth X amount of dollars, it feels very personal and very uh, mm-hmm. kind of intimate in a way. It does. It does. And I'm a big believer in, for that reason, value-based pricing and just really anchoring on what mm. it's not. People aren't paying you for 45 minutes of your time. They're paying you for especially in, in the therapy field, something that's just so intangible, um, but way more valuable than 45 minutes or $175 or whatever that, that number is. Um, but you're right. I think True. similar to yeah. what we were talking about, I think it's that money emotional piece. And I think there's yeah. this divide that we've created of, you know, money, seeking money and serving people. And we feel like those are two different things. Um, but again, money is money numbers are numbers. And I mm-hmm. genuinely believe 
if money is a reflection of serving people well. And so if money is going up and you're getting paid well, that's because you're serving people in a way that they're wanting to exchange for that value. Mm -hmm. Value is, is key, right? And we are fundamentally, we're providing a service, we're selling our time um, in a way, but the value is really whatever is extracted from that therapy session or that therapy experience. You know, I'm, I live in San Francisco. I have a lot of um, kind of like tech clients that are all about optimization and efficiency. And I had a client come in one day and he said, okay, so our sessions are 45 minutes, right? And he said, what if we were to do it in 25 minutes a week? I'm going to pay you the same amount. I'm going to come every week, but what's, what would happen if we tried that? And of course it's like, I'm sitting here going, I've been doing it for 10 years and never really questioning why it's 45 minutes other than insurance companies probably. Right. <laughs> um, and I said, okay, let's give it a try. And it's, uh, you know, I remember Parkinson's law from undergrad psychology, which is if you have a task and a, and a gap to fit that task, you'll make it fit that task. Yes. If I have to write a four page paper by Friday, I'll make it fit that task. If I have four weeks to do it, I'll make it fit that, that gap. Sorry, messing up the language, but, um, we started doing that. And what happened is he would sit down and get right into the heart of it right away. I would work a little more efficiently and we both kind of managed our time accordingly. The value was still there. In fact, I would say the value was even higher for him mm-hmm. because it was more efficient. So to your point of values-based pricing. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I've, I've seen that too. I've, I remember at a business when I started working with some business owners, they can be the same way. It's like, let's knock this out and we'd be 20 minutes into a hour long session. They'd be like, all right, cool. I think that's great. And I'm going to go. And I, for a long time, was going, oh man, it's like, they're going to fire me. This is, didn't go, (laughs) but genuinely they were getting amazing results and they valued that relationship exponentially more than people who probably would have been like, uh, no, we still got 10 more minutes left on the clock. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, Fascinating. Yeah. You know, I've even had my own therapist who went the other way, which she would just say that the session lasts as long as it lasts. I don't know how she did this with her schedule, but if that meant the session was 20 minutes and that's, we, I got something out of it in those 20 minutes versus if it was an hour and a half, it would be an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was fascinating, right? Again, of like these constraints or what it, what is the value if we were to extract it and try to set it on the table? What is the value of, of, of therapy, right? Um, anyway, co- coming back to you and your work, I'm really interested, like, where do we start this conversation around? First of all, why do many small business owners, therapists struggle with profitability? And then how do you step in and and start to help fix this big problem for us? Yeah. Some, a common area that I've seen, especially in the therapy industry is uh, the reason the why we get into business Um, therapists and just tend to have a huge heart for people. They want to serve people. They want to make an impact and change lives. Um, and a lot of times I think that comes at the cost of their, their own livelihood and their own goals and, and ambitions that money would support. And coming in, a lot of what I've seen is um, profit not being prioritized, um, paychecks not paying themselves on a consistent basis. Um, many of them, once you own a practice with therapists under them, they're still working at a lot of clinical hours. And so finding a way to say, it's okay. You can, again, you can serve people really well and make an impact and still afford yourself the work-life balance you want and the paychecks you want. And profit doesn't mean greed. Profit can be used to support a mission. It can be used to support your family. That can be used to support your employees or your clients. There's a lot of ways to take it. Um, but a lot of times when we hear that term profit first, we think, money first, but it's not necessarily that it's 
building a business that is financially healthy so you can serve people. That's well said. Um, can you explain more? I mean, we've, we've talked about Profit First on this show quite a bit. It's a system I use. It's a book I recommend to a lot of folks. Even just in the, the philosophy of it, I recommend it. But can you tell folks more about what is Profit First and that the, the main ideas behind it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Profit First, in a nutshell, is a system, a way to manage your business finances that uses your behavior. And so less of the accounting spreadsheets, but using actual physical bank accounts. And so we have five core accounts. Um, and we'll, there's another one I actually recommend for therapists we can talk about in a little bit. But one of them is income, where money comes in. We have profit, uh, owners pay, taxes, and operating expenses. And really the beauty of it is being able to open your phone or your bank account and see exactly where money is, how you're doing in each of those core buckets, and making sure your spending is really honed in on those those core areas. Why, why are these separate accounts important, right? Uh, why couldn't you just take one account and track these percentages? Yeah, it's it's behavioral. It, it truly is. It, it comes down to if you try to do it on a spreadsheet, and I've had clients who have tried before they met me and some who insisted on it the first couple months and almost, well, always end up getting bank accounts because we can track it on a spreadsheet all we want, but there's just a simplicity of being able to pick up your device and look and see operating expenses. How much money do I have in there? Can I afford to run payroll? Can I afford to pay this invoice that just came in? Um, do I have enough to pay myself out of the owner's pay account? Just instant snapshot clarity that we don't have anywhere else. And let's be honest, we're not looking at spreadsheets. We're looking at our phone, we're looking at our bank accounts. So let's use that behavior. Yeah. I remember when I went into Wells Fargo to set up these accounts, they thought I was pretty crazy. <laughs> um, and this was a long time ago when I started doing it. So it was like, you want how many and you want them to be called what, <laughs> you know, and all these <laughs> little percentages attached to them. And um, there is something very psychological about it. Right. And um, similar to having a savings account, that's kind of out of sight, out of mind. It's like this money is dedicated in this account mm -hmm. and therefore it's kind of not mine or it has an assigned use and there's something about that um what i like about profit first is it's it the the traditional way of looking at you know cash flow is basically you have um revenue minus expenses equals profit mm -hmm. meaning the business owner gets whatever crumbs are left over which oftentimes is not not much right especially yeah. in the case of let's say a group practice owner where you're where most of your you know uh, costs are going to your employees, your payroll, mm -hmm. your overhead, your rent, et cetera. And you might be seeing the most clients in the practice and earning the least. I see this all the time in group yes. practice ownership. It's, it's really not a good look, as they say. Um, with profit first, it's revenue minus profit equals expenses, right? And prioritizing that profit and flipping that model on its head a bit, right? Yeah, absolutely. That That's 100% right. Yeah, changing just the standard old bottom line, profit being at the very bottom of that and saying, we're going to move it to the top because what we prioritize first is what happens. Um, no one says, I have something incredibly important to do. It's last thing tomorrow. I'm going to take care of that. No, it's always first thing in the morning. I'm going to take care of that. So what we prioritize first happens. And so profitability, mm -hmm. we want to make that a priority. And, and how do you help your clients um, set these targets or set these percentages? Or when, when a therapist says, um, you know, what should my profit margin be for the whole business? How do you help, you know, start to, to play around with those numbers and set goals? 
Yeah, absolutely. So where we start is where they are now. Um, and so if a business comes to me and we're starting to work together, I'm going to do the number crunching and look and say, okay, where are you today? Percentage wise, how much, what's your percentage in operating expenses, um, et cetera, et cetera. And we want to start there. And then over time, start to move those numbers. Um, there are some recommended percentages based on the size of the business. Uh, but I'm also a believer that every, every business is going to be slightly different and slightly unique. I do know in therapy businesses, if you have a group practice where you have employees, a lot of times it's percentage splits. And so me saying operating expenses should be 30% and you're going, but we play our our clinicians, 40, 50, 60%, how, how in the world do we get it to that? Um, those are the areas where we start to play around with it and get a little creative with how we're going to organize it. Um, but for the most part, that's what we're doing. We're getting these core buckets and then we cater it and really build it around what their business structure looks like. Gotcha. Yeah. You touched on the percentage splits. You know, this is a huge topic among group practice owners is kind of how and how much to pay your, your clinicians, the percentage split, or I, you know, I call it a commission is, um, I think a common model. I don't think it's necessarily the best model. I think, um, a lot of group practice owners end up over committing themselves and they say, mm -hmm. well, I heard a practice down the street is paying the clinician 60% of all fees collected. Right. And um, once you establish that kind of baseline, I think it can be quite hard to make sure you still have healthy profit. Um, right. So much of this depends on your actual numbers, though. Right. So for people listening, if it's 60 percent of what? Right. 60 percent right. of 60 dollars, 60 percent of three hundred and forty dollars. Right. And, you know. Uh, 25 sessions a week. What is it? Right. Um, is it a virtual only practice? Do you have an office suite of 10 offices, right? Whatever it is, like so much of this really is specific to your numbers and um, your, your actual business. Right. 100%. And that's one way you had asked that question earlier about margins and what we do about those. And so um, those are the conversations that we want to look at as a, can we raise these prices to help bring a healthier margin there? Um, do we need to change the structure of how your clinicians are paid, your therapists are paid? Um, one that will incentivize or still take care of them, but also add a little bit more health into the business as a whole. Um, but yes, 100%. If you're over committing those fees, you're, it's really hard to scale and be able to take yourself out of those, that the day-to-day -day seeing patients when you're over committing to your own staff. It's interesting because I, I get this question a lot of um, what if I want to sell my business and I, I did, I sold my first group practice in 2019. And when they go to value a business, you know, part of what you're looking at is how much is this business going to keep generating and profiting without the owner, right? Mm -hmm. So if it's John Clark, you know, pulling, you know, 70% of the revenue in um, this business isn't going to be worth a whole lot if it's right. just that. Right. Not to mention just the, the stress and the the, uh, the overwhelm of all of that. You really are um, uh, not, you know, building something that that's sustainable or scalable or something that can generate profit um, that doesn't just entirely depend on you. So. Right. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yep. And I think that's a problem. And that's when I meet a therapy business who I'm working with. The, the one of the things we go through early on is figuring out how much how is your revenue weighted? How much of it is dependent on you as the business owner versus your staff? Um, and because typically the goal I'm hearing from, especially group practice owners, which is who I mostly work with, is they want to move out of the 
the seeing patients so frequently. They want to run right. the business side. And so we need to figure out how do we shuffle you out of that. And that's the starting point. How many, what's mm-hmm. your percentage? How much are you bringing in? Exactly. Yeah. And pulling that out and seeing um, what would the business look like right now if it weren't for your caseload, I think is a great exercise in looking at what's the business itself doing. Um, yeah. And I think the results are almost always shocking sometimes in a good yeah. way and sometimes in a depressing way. But uh, I had a therapy group who I was doing that with and we were shocked to find out they, one of the reasons they came to me is that like, we want to stop seeing patients and we discovered they could, I mean, they were at mm-hmm. a place where um, they could probably stop the next day if they wanted to, but yet they just had no clarity in the money to even know that they were at that point where the business would be fine. Um, so I think mm. knowing that, and then the inverse is I have one who is, they were bringing in 90%. We're going, okay, uh, we need to start figuring out that game plan of how do we ramp mm-hmm. this up where you're pulling yourself slowly out of that revenue hold. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I think this is one of the barriers that some therapists have of looking at their numbers. It's kind of like, if I don't look at it, it doesn't exist. It's like the boogie monster, right? And I'm afraid of what I might find out. I had a, a one of our other mastermind members who came in a group one day and she said, guys, I have devastating news. Um, I have to let go of all of my part-time therapists because I'm losing money by, by having them all working here. Mm. And my first response was, this is great news meaning this is great news that you know and you have clarity and she had a, you know a finance team drill all the way down in the numbers to say this is kind of your cost per session right like the cost that it the 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 business accrues to generate the session right to make the session happen to create the 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 product right and here's how much your part-time clinicians, you know, are, are costing you versus making you. Um, and it was, it was negative across the board. And so again, I was just excited that she then had clarity and had real numbers to put to it. And they would show her even down to the session, this is how much you're losing every time, you know, with, with these sessions. Now you either take your part-time clinicians and get them full-time or you let them go somewhere else where they can be very mm-hmm. part-time or in their own practices. Um, to, you know, again, it was like, maybe I was being overly optimistic, but I was so glad that she <laughs> knew and had such detailed numbers about this situation. Cause then she can go to her clinicians and, with more information and say, listen, you know, um, this is the current picture. If you want to mm-hmm. be here and I want to have you here, like, this is how we would get you to full time. And that's a requirement is to get you to full time or whatever yeah. it is. Right. And just having that, that clarity, it, it, it takes the emotion out of it. Once you get past the initial shock of it and the shame and the, the, you know, all those, those feelings that we have to deal with up front. It's, if you can just learn to see it as information and be curious about it and go, okay, yeah, now I have more information and I'm learning and this is new to yes. me. Uh, I'm learning to be a better business owner and that learning never stops. Then it won't mm-hmm. feel like, oh gosh, here's another signal that I shouldn't be doing any of this and that I suck. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, the numbers are what they are. I mean, whether you stop and face it, whether that, that therapist had taken the time to investigate it, she couldn't afford to pay those, those part-time employees were losing her money, whether she took the time to look into it or not. And so I think that clarity gives you the dignity of choice um, with your business and how you want to fix it, how you want to approach it. Um, and also kind of leans in on that whole idea of by focusing on the financial health of your business, you're taking care of your employees and your, and your clients. Hundred percent. So if you're not financially healthy, then you do have to make those tough decisions of letting people go. Um, by making yeah. that change, she's going to take care of people moving forward. 
I, I love that, right? Your primary responsibility is to the business itself and keeping it viable so that the people, you know, who are, who are on board can, can thrive and be, be taken care of. So, um, that, that's, that's the primary responsibility of the business owner. And that often means hard conversations and hard decisions. Uh, we've got a question here from, um, one of our, our, uh, viewers, um, Sarah asks, uh, I want to increase cash flow in my group practice, but I'm worried about which areas to delegate and start hiring out any recommendations on where to start. So it's kind of a two part question. Maybe we can tackle yeah. it together here, Craig. One is kind of budget, you know, the question of like, how much can I afford? Um, mm -hmm. and then the other question, which maybe better for me is kind of strategically, what do I delegate first? What, what would you say about the budget piece though, before we go further? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think before any kind of hiring, it's being proactive with it and really planning that out. And so really it's dependent on the, the type of job they're bringing in. But um, one recommendation I give out when working with people, especially in the profit first idea of that bank accounts is um, budgeting out and opening a separate bank account for a new employee of planning out what am I going to be paying them? What do I think that's going to be costing me? And just setting aside money into that account every time you do allocations. Mm -hmm. And so what happens over time, given it four to six to eight weeks is when you do realize before they ever walk in your door, you realize, okay, I can afford them. Um, and so you're there. And then when you bring them on, new employees are always an expense before they're an investment. There's going to be a period where they're going to cost you money before they start making you money. And so you have cash in a reserve to help you make that transition. And then the flip side of that is if you realize you can't afford it, you're sending money in there and you're constantly having to pull money out of that account to, you know, put into operating expenses to cover your expenses, you know, before you ever brought somebody in that you're not financially ready for it. And so it just gives you that clarity before you actually go through the process of hiring and then having to let someone go. Going back to our fourth grade, you know, mindset, it's funny you mentioned that. <laughs> I always say, you know, I, I teach a lot of marketing and copywriting in here. And I say mm -hmm. to write in no greater than third grade language, which your bio was really good in that regard. Very clear, very simple. Wasn't jargony. Didn't talk about, you know, P&Ls or, you know, anything that's going to make our head spin. Um, going back to really kind of first principles here, how does a private practice make money, right? Or a business makes money by selling something, a product or a service, right? A unit. So how is Sarah's practice going to make more money by selling more units? How do you create more units? Well, you hire more therapists Yes. or you add other programs to your practice, whether it's group therapy or courses or intensives or workshops or, you know, couples retreats, whatever it is, more high ticket stuff. And you're leveraging your time um, at a higher rate. That being said, you know, these, the first thing you're usually going to outsource, well, number one, if you haven't already gotten help with your money, you know, a, a good bookkeeper, uh, a tax accountant, um, uh, maybe kind of a, a profit first professional, someone like Craig who can actually coach you on the numbers and help you implement a plan is really important. Um, I would spend, I spend a lot of money on my money. Let me say that I have a lot of financial help on both the personal financial side and on the business. I spend a lot and I, um, it helps me sleep better at night more than anything yeah. else. The other thing though, that I would look at next is usually it's going to be your intake coordinators. The person who is uh, generating business 
for um, for the practice, right? So the person that is answering the phones, responding to emails, that initial contact point is literally your salesperson. If you, the group practice owner, are doing it, you need to stop doing it yesterday because we are trying to sell our clinicians, not you. So if you've built a business on your reputation and being well-known and this and that, right? If it's John Clark, you know, and associates and John Clark's answering the phone and trying to downsell to my associates, you're not building a brand. You're, you're just, you know, trying to kind of, uh, downsell people. Um, so I think that often pays, uh, for itself, um, and having a really good intake coordinator. Um, you also might think about paying them some sort of commission. You know, we do that, um, where they're incentivized if they book, you know, X amount of clients in a week, they earn an extra kickback, right? Just like a sales position. So they're incentivized to really, you know, help the practice grow in that regard. Um, after that, you know, I'm, I'm always thinking, right, how do I kind of position myself in that CEO seat as much as possible? Um, and if that's the case, then I won't, I don't want to be overly involved clinically or operationally. So we have a pra- an intake coordinator. We also have a practice manager who's responsible for all the operations of the practice, you know, uh, setting the office schedules. How do people get onboarded, helping me with um, hiring, interviewing, uh, r- you know, running gusto, uh, things like that, getting people uh, set up, just making sure all the operations of the business are happening. Um, separately, we have a marketing agency. We have a marketing uh, assistant who's who works in the practice. And um, those are things that kind of came later. You know, it just depends also on what phase of your business you're in. You know, for the first year and a half of this business, I considered it kind of a startup, right? I was really in this growth phase where I was most money that was being generated, I was putting it back into the business intentionally and with a plan and knowing that once it reached a tipping point, there's going to be a lot more profit to, to come. Um, that's my long answer. <laughs> Great <laughs> answer. I did this on that, Craig, before we move to the next question. No, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it's what's going to free free up your time most to focus on revenue generating tasks, things that are big picture. Cool. Next question we have from uh, Jay Benjamin. Um, they're saying, uh, what is the best way to track the budget? QuickBooks, Excel, Google Sheets, or something else? Yeah, I'm going to answer that with an ambiguous answer of there isn't necessarily a best way. <laughs> answer the question with a question, and it's um, what would work best with you? What You know yourself, so what kind of person are you? Are you a technology person? Are you an app person? Um, are you just a paper and pencil kind of person? Uh, we want to leverage, same thing, leverage those behaviors. What are we going to actually use? Uh, so best, there's two things I look for when I'm looking for a budget. Um, one is forward thinking. And so this leverages that Dave Ramsey idea of planning money before it comes into the business. Um, I've used personal finance softwares for that. Um, Dave Ramsey's software of every dollar I've used. I have some YouTube video tutorials on how to implement that in your business. Nice. Um, you need a budget is another online software mm-hmm. that you can utilize that works well with the profit first system. Um, I have clients who use Excel sheets. Um, so it's really boils down to what are we going to use? If you're not going to open up Excel and type in your expenses as you go, then don't even try to use that. Um, if you are used to using your phone and pulling it out and jotting things down as you spend into an app, um, that's a great way to go. And that's where I would probably lean into an every dollar or even a QuickBooks will track that for you um, where you can drag and just keep an eye on that budgeting piece. But um, the two pieces planning ahead and then engaging with it as you go. So you always know where you stand as, as things evolve throughout the month. Yeah, I agree. It has to be a tool that you're actually going to use, right? Um, 
at the same time, you know, I also am a big believer to have the right tool for the right job. So, you know, I used to work in construction for a nonprofit and it's like, if I'm cutting a piece of wood for a window or a piece of trim for a window, it's like, I could kind of make it work, you know, with the circular saw. Um, but uh, it, there, there's just so much to be said about using the right tool for the right job. Um, I think it's like, why would we be using like a spreadsheet versus something like QuickBooks or zero or whatever? Um, if it's out of being lazy or cheap, I think you need to use the right software. I, I also think, um, and I've told my, you know, my practice manager on my team this all the time that early on when it was, you know, just me and another clinician, we have built systems and put things in place that will scale, right? That will grow because once we have five clinicians and 10 and 15 and 20, I don't want to go back and trying to take that Excel spreadsheet and put it into QuickBooks all of a sudden, right? Yes. Because I've outgrown it. I heard it in a bookkeeper and they're like, hey, it has to be on QuickBooks or whatever it is. So same thing, whether it's that or using an EHR to manage your client files. Um, I, you know, I've got friends and, and people I know who they, they just use whatever. Um, I mm -hmm. just think you might as well use the right tool for the job um, and, and set it up that way initially to save yourself time from transitioning later. But yeah. Very true. Yep, absolutely. And, and a thing like QuickBooks, if that's what you're using for bookkeeping, um, that might be your best bet for, for budgeting. Um, but I think the key really is just watching as you go and engaging in it um, and finding a, a system that's going to support yeah, support that. And, and, and that you have clean numbers that someone, again, like Craig, can actually help you and, and know that they're accurate. And, and that's the data that someone like Craig is going to help you interpret and make decisions on, right? Right. Absolutely. Yep. Looking at those numbers and deciding, okay, what's what's going on with these? Are we in a good place, bad place? What are we thinking we need to do moving forward? And how do we how do we make some shifts so that, just like you are talking about, as you get 5, 10, 15 and continue to grow, your business is ready to take it on. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, those problems tend to grow and scale with us and replicate at you know at a, a more severe degree. Um, um, uh, folks that are here live again on YouTube, um, definitely ask uh, your your other questions here. We've got um, around ten minutes or so left here with Craig. So other finance questions, feel free to ask them. And um, while we uh, that being said, I want to make a really quick plug here for the sponsor for um, today's episode, and that's Jane. Um, Jane is a thoughtfully designed all-in-one practice management software with powerful features to help you grow your business. And you can see all of that in action over at jane.app. What you might not see there, though, is the team behind Jane, from their developers to their award-winning customer service team and everyone in between. They're obsessed with being the best they can be for you. To see Jane and the rest of the team in action, you can join them at jane.app. You can book a one-on-one -on -one demo, or you can subtly name drop me, John Clark, at sign up to receive a one-month grace period as you get started with Jane. Um, and specifically, that link is going to be jane.app forward slash mental health. That's jane.app forward slash mental health. And thanks again to Jane for uh, sponsoring today's episode. Another question here from um, from Deb. This is hopefully a fun one for Craig, um, depending on your definition of fun. <laughs> uh, Deb says, I have YNAB, that's you need a budget, a bookkeeping software, and I like it. Is there a way to do the four accounts in YNAB instead of the bank? Yeah, yes, there's a way to do it in YNAB, but I would not do it instead of the bank. I would do it alongside the bank. Um, and so you can break the categories. So in YNAB, 
in any budgeting software, you can create groups. And so I would just create a group nicknamed profit, one nickname owners pay, taxes, operating expenses. And you can even get more granular if you want to do payroll and overhead and break those operating expenses out. Um, but we, I would still utilize the bank accounts uh, simply because, again, it's the instant snapshot with the cash. Um, there's something just subconscious about money being lumped together when we see it and we look at the bank and there's 20,000 sitting in our checking account that feels different than when it's broken up into those smaller buckets. And we open up and we see instead of 20,000, we see 10,000 in operating expenses and five in owner's pay and et cetera, et cetera. Then we can say we have 10,000 to spend, not 20, or we have fill in the blank there. So I, I do still believe in the bank accounts, but yes, and why not? You can build it in a way that's going to reflect profit first as well. It's an interesting question. You know, I also will just say for what it's worth, um, I personally at first, you know, I read the Profit First book and then I tried to implement it myself with little success. Um, my belief is that it's a tricky system. It's simple in nature and in principle, mm -hmm. it's trickier to implement and to keep doing it every month and to know where to put the money, what the percentages should be, when to adjust the percentages. I think that's more high level where, again, I, I think it's important to have a profit first professional like Craig. So that, that's just my thoughts. I don't know if you have thoughts on kind of self-implementation or if you've seen, you know, any of your business owners that are able to, to kind of do it justice. Yeah. Almost every business owner I work with tried it, who knew about it, I guess, before they met me, had tried it on their own. Um, and it just, didn't ever take off, whether they didn't get the accounts open or um, they started at the wrong percentages, um, didn't know how to tweak it or adjust it. Cause it is, it's, if you're spending 80% in operating expenses today, we don't want to drop it to 30. It's like trying to lose 30 pounds overnight. It's not healthy. We want to slowly make the shift and figuring out that roadmap is incredibly key and building those behaviors and getting the accountability in place to regularly check in on it. I also think if you have a good relationship with, you know, your, your, your financial, um, help, you know, if, if you're, if I'm working with someone like Craig, I'm ultimately the owner of the business. I'm the CEO. I'm making strategic decisions every day about the business, but then I'm doing them with, uh, being informed, you know, by the actual numbers and going to, to Craig or someone with questions like how much can I afford to pay my um, clinicians or how much can I afford for training? Or what if mm -hmm. we expand to a new office? What would that do to my numbers? Right. And then I'm taking action, ultimately having the final say, but I'm doing it with that, that insight, you know, from, from my financial people, that's their job. And I leverage them heavily for that because that's what you're there for. Yeah. I think about my business like it's a big company. If I'm a big corporation and you know I'm CEO and have a CFO, that CFO is there in part to make sense of the numbers and help help me steer the ship, you know, for the business. So you have to think of it that way. And you, whenever you're outsourcing something in your business, you have to know how to leverage those people, right? And how to um, what they're actually doing for you, and then how to um, you know create a relationship with them where it's actually helping to grow your business. So. Yeah. I, I call myself the CPO for my clients. I'm the chief profit officer. And it's, it is way more than just the, the system of profit first and cash flow system is just foundational, but anything that has a dollar sign in front of it, they it's helping them strategize through it. Cause owning a business, it can be lonely when you're the only person who's the profit profitability and the money stuff falls on having somebody who can help you really think through it, strategize through it. But mm -hmm. I'm also a believer. I've said it a couple of times in the dignity of choice that it's my client's business. And so mm -hmm. I'm never going to say, here's what you need to do. Do this, this, then this um, it's 
a lot of yeah. conversation of what their values are, what they're hoping the business becomes and helping them craft it around that. Yeah. Great point. Got another question here. And then um, we've got about five minutes left for questions. For those of you here live, definitely get your questions in. Jay Benjamin asks, are there any business bank accounts or credit cards that you would suggest for a startup? Or I would say maybe a, a private practice in the kind of startup phase. Yeah. I'm with what we're talking about, since you're going to need multiple accounts, um, free accounts is really just what I'm looking for. Uh, now specific locations, typically credit unions. And so there's, it's just really locally based. Um, you can find some online ones. I've heard good things about, um, I think it's relay financials an online business account uh, bank that you can utilize. Um, so just finding really free is all the only advice I'm going to give there uh, because it gets expensive if you're paying minimum fees on five or more accounts. Um, and sometimes you're going to find the bigger banks are going to put restrictions on it. Like you have to have a minimum balance or automatic deposits. Um, and I typically just say, if you're going to go through the headache of adding accounts, find a place that'll do it for free. So you can avoid having to worry about making automatic transfers and transferring money back every month or, um, leaving a thousand dollars inside of each account just to keep them open. Um, and that means there's $5,000 of your business money. You can't utilize for anything. It's literally there to have bank accounts. So um, yeah. that's really the only advice as far as specific accounts. There's not necessarily anything I would recommend, um, other than just free. Yeah, I think that's good advice. Um, you know, I, I will say just again, I'm not a financial full financial advisor planner, whatever expert here, but my own experience, um, uh, I use an online bank called Novo for my um, my accounts, and um, uh, I really like it quite a bit. It's easy to set up. This is not an ad. <laughs> it was easy to set up. It's very easy to use. It has good um, a, a nice interface where I log in and I can see kind of what's happening with the money. It also has really good integrations with different things like Stripe, PayPal, whatever. So it has um, a little more bells and whistles than a typical like Wells Fargo account in my experience. Mm. So I really like it a lot. It also it comes with a separate uh, like reserve account, which I like for setting aside you know, taxes or, or whatever. Um, maybe you're saving for a new office. Or something or new couch um so i like being able to have those reserve accounts but um yeah the last piece you know again maybe not to open a can of worms but asking about credit cards or business credit cards i've said it before i really am a fan of the dave ramsey kind mm -hmm. of model and principles and he's uh, vehemently opposed to credit cards <laughs> and taking on debt unless you have to that being said i think a great one of the great things about a private practice is it's one of the easiest businesses to set up financially like yes. small businesses um, if you start virtual all you need is a computer and an internet connection to start seeing mm -hmm. clients and then maybe an ehr which is you know 49 bucks a month or whatever it is maybe from there you're subleasing an office for 200 bucks a month right. that's a very lean business right or you could be generating 150 bucks an hour and all of a sudden you got a six figure business on your hand. So I just really think if you can do it without taking on debt or a loan, um, do it. I think you should be able to do it. I agree with that. Yeah. Borrowing money is just basically using future revenue. All you're doing is uh, taking cash from your future self and uh, you don't want to steal from your future self. So avoid it at all costs. Yeah. Yeah. That's well said. Um, <clears throat> if we don't have any other questions here, we can start to, uh, wrap up Craig. I, I want to thank you for being here and again, for jumping in. So last minute, really appreciate that a lot. Um, maybe just fill us in a little bit more about kind of how you help specifically the programs that you offer. And then of course, how people can get in touch and work with you. 
100%. And so what I do for my clients is it's, it's one-on-one coaching and uh, we're engaging together. And when a client starts working with me, we're going to give them a roadmap of where they are today financially, where I would recommend they be. And we're going to guide them through that process um, through monthly meetings. Um, once the system, the cash flow system set up, that's where we get to dig into uh, solving problems, helping increase profit margins, helping them figure out their pricing structure, um, helping them figure out if they're wanting to do a more sliding scale model for their clients um, or really reach out to those lower income clients. How do we utilize your profitability? Um, Maybe open an account like a purpose fund account that you can funnel money into to serve those people without putting your business at risk. Um, Finding that balance between your business and your heart for people and really leveraging that. And so people can go to my website. It's craigdacy.com. I do have a free quiz on my website that's going to give them their exact numbers, what they uh, should be doing in their business. So those profit first buckets um, and a roadmap there. And it's just quiz.craigdacy.com and they can take that free quiz and get the report. Um, and we will um, put those links in the description on YouTube as well as um, on the, the podcast. So this is, um, if you're just now tuning in, you can always catch this um, sometime tomorrow on Spotify or um, iTunes, wherever you want to check out podcasts. So um, Craig, thanks again for being here. And thanks to those who came live and asked questions. That's always a lot of fun. Um, next week, we're going to have another guest. Her name is Victoria Albina. She's coming to talk about codependency in the workplace <laughs> making a hard pivot from finance to codependency in the workplace but it's a hot topic right now and it should be a fun one in a very different way so um yeah same time same place next tuesday 3 p.m pacific 6 p.m eastern and it, everything in between um and uh yeah that's all for now thanks again to jane for sponsoring our show and uh, thanks again to craig for being here uh, if you want help from me you can always head to privatepracticeworkshop.com best way to get started i offer a, a, an initial coaching session for 199 bucks that's a good way to just get some help and for us to um, take a look at your business and for me to start giving you some some guidance so i'd be happy to to connect with you there uh, thanks again, Craig, for being here. And uh, for everyone else, we will uh, we'll see you in a week. Thanks again. Thanks, John.